The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Change is the one constant in life. It is inevitable and it will happen to all of us at one time or another. Whether we like it or not, people and circumstances will change. We will get sick, loved ones will die, jobs will be lost, couples will grow apart, and children will move out. And when that happens, we are scared and sometimes lost. But here is the good news. Each one of us can write the next chapter of our life. No matter what we face, with the right mindset and unwavering tenacity, we can raise the curtain to a second act. I'm Joan Herman, and through my Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life brand and Second Acts, it is my mission to give you the tools, inspiration, and motivation to write the next part of your story. And what a story it will be. Welcome to Second Acts. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for joining us. Do you feel despair, numb, or even hopeless when navigating addiction and mental health issues alongside someone you love? According to today's guest, Pamela Brinker, caring for a child, spouse, parent, or friend can feel like it's pulling the life from you. In her book, Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction, Pamela offers life-saving skills and crucial pillars for growth. Pamela is a psychotherapist who has treated thousands of clients and has developed tools and practices to teach conscious bravery. Welcome, Pamela. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm thrilled to be here, Joan. You have a great show. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. You know, Pamela, your work, (laughs) the work that you do, is so important. How did you get started doing this type of work? Years ago, in in the family in which I was growing up, I had a couple of cousins who took their own lives. And I, I became a psychotherapist, I think, unconsciously wanting to prevent mental health challenges in my family. As I you know, got married and had my own children, I was sort of unconsciously hoping that I could get everything the way I wanted it to be and protect it. But of course, that's not possible. And so in my early 20s, I realized I would have to apply a lot of the same things I taught my clients to myself. And so a lot of your work is around something called conscious bravery. What does that mean? Conscious bravery is the capacity to do whatever's needed in any given moment. And we have the wisdom to not just assess the situation, but to move into action and do something. So it's not just a state of intention. It's active. Is this something that we're all born with or is an acquired skill? 
everyone is born with the seeds of bravery, just like love or kindness. We all have the capacity to be brave. But as with love, we need to cultivate it. And that's what, what I teach, that conscious bravery is something that we develop, we practice, and we, we train in it, as it were. And we develop it and become better at it by not just practicing in the calm moments, but also practicing when we're in the trenches in those times of devastation, just like with love, you know, when we're uh, in a relationship, it's not always easy. And we learn from the difficult challenges that, that come our way. So taking this concept of conscious bravery, how do we apply that to addiction? That's what your book is about. So how do you blend those two things? So many people I've worked with all these years love someone or care about someone who's essentially walking in the wilderness of addiction and mental health challenges. You know, they have some substance use issue and or they have some mental health challenge like depression or anxiety, panic. And so when we are conscious, we have to take care of ourselves. You know, there's so much out of our control when we care about someone who struggles. What we want to do is turn that inward to ourselves and focus on who we are, remember who we truly are, and also develop self-help, pardon me, and not just, not just self-help, but true self-care out of, out of deep compassion for ourselves, because that's how we're going to walk alongside someone we love and care about as they struggle. We have to show them that we can put the oxygen mask on our own face and remember who we are and care for ourselves. Even though it feels like the plane is going down, we put that oxygen mask on our own face, and then we can be an oasis for them because we are able to protect our own happiness, and they can see, oh, she's doing all right. You know, most of us are moms, or uh, we, have, we have jobs as teachers or leaders, um, but, but the, the, those we care about are struggling, and they look to us for guidance, and yeah. we can't really do it for them. So, but what we can do is we can control ourselves, and we can work on ourselves. And, you know, we're talking about addiction, but this is such a great point for any caregiver, you know, no matter what the situation is, because when you are taking care or or trying to help another person, we do tend to not pay any attention to ourselves. We put everyone else's needs before our own. And like you said, if we don't put our own oxygen mask on, we can't breathe. So how are we going to help another person? So true. Absolutely. So, yeah, we have to remember who we truly are. And it's so easy for us as caregivers. It's a great point, Joan, um, that you use that word. It's so easy for us to focus on the other because they are going through these devastations and these highs and lows, mental health challenges of either depression or or mania or, um, or anxiety, panic attacks. And then they also turn to substances often. Or, you know, we don't know which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Sometimes they turn to substances, which then exacerbate the mental health challenges. But at any rate, what we can do in order to find our own bravery is to to go inward and remember that we're more than our circumstances. We're more than our role as a mom or a teacher. We're more than the situation. And that takes practice because it's so easy to get distracted by the chaos going on in the, in the person's life that we care about. When we talk about someone who's addicted to whatever, to whatever it may be, we always tend to think it's this choice that they've made, like you've chosen this life. And, you know, sometimes people don't really have a lot of compassion for people who are addicted. What do you believe is at the root cause of an addiction? And is it really a choice that a person makes? That's a great question. It's complex because addiction 
and substance use issues are different for everyone. So uh, some people uh, are born with genetic predisposition towards substance use issues and they have trauma on top of that. And then the age of use is huge, hugely involved as a factor if they start using substances to cope with pain really young. But, but no one initially wants to become someone who's addicted to a substance. It, they turn to substances as the solution, as the answer to their pain or their problem. And, and that's where our job is to, to have unconditional compassion with boundaries, of course. But since addiction is different for everyone, there are so many different reasons why people become dependent upon substances. You know, they have shame, they have difficulty asking for help, they feel this tremendous aloneness. And, you know, the, the very nature of the substance use and the dependency affects the brain in such a way that it, it kind of becomes essentially at war with itself. And so it does become a choice problem and a wanting and a desire issue for them, but they don't necessarily choose that. No, I'm really simplifying this, but the way I kind of look at it is, you know, maybe in the beginning, like you were saying, you, you make a choice to try to numb the pain, to fill the void, to to whatever, to, to not want to feel something. But somewhere along the way, the drug, the demon takes over and you lose your choice at that point. And it really does consume you then. Absolutely. Yeah. I call it the beast of addiction because it is just such an overwhelming ride for the people that we care about. And I also say that they are in the wilderness. It's, and it's not just a wilderness with trees and meadows and, and hugely roaring rivers, you know, that, that they're out there by themselves. Um, it's not just that kind of wilderness. It's, it's also the concrete wilderness where they're, they're using street drugs and they choose homelessness because that makes sense to them rather than getting treatment. And I believe that, that they can face whatever they're going through with more, with more ease, at least with more solidity, if we walk alongside them in the, in the wilderness. And so they know they're not alone and we can become unconditionally loving again with boundaries and show our compassion because as, as you and I've talked about, Joan, they don't choose this. It's, it's almost a compulsion. Pamela, what does that mean to walk alongside them with boundaries? How, how do we keep from crossing that line of showing love and compassion to becoming an enabler? Well, we, we love them through their challenges. We welcome them into our homes. We greet them with kindness. We say, I love you. For me, as a mom of two sons who have struggled greatly with both addiction issues and mental health challenges, I have invited them over for dinner, even when I knew they were using. I, don't put, I didn't put uh, delusions around my love. My love is unconditional. But I might say, hey, if you're on the way to your job or your community service, I'll meet you at the gas station. I'll put gas in your car. So I have their back, but I'm not giving them cash necessarily, you know, straight up cash that they could use to go get a drug. However, I had to learn that the hard way. And that's one of the things that walking alongside someone in the wilderness means that we are learning how to how to do things as we go too. And so that's where it's so important to have self-compassion because we make mistakes. I've made so many mistakes. And yet I want to forgive myself and move forward in the present moment so that I can help them have forgiveness for themselves when they make mistakes. Because they, you know, relapse is just part of addiction and highs and lows and mental health challenges just keep coming. You know, we often think, oh, they've got it together now. It's going to be fine. 
adventure years and they're finally through the wilderness. But one of the things I teach and that I've learned is that for many of us, our loved ones are going to be struggling for years. It might be five years or 10. It might be the rest of their lives where they have ups and downs and different kinds of mental health issues. And so to offer them hope, we want to see them as as human beings, as beings who have these challenges and not label them, you know, not label them as stuck forever and not label them as an addict. I don't like that word addict. I like the word people, people struggling with alcohol use or substance use issues. Well, that's one of the things that I love about your work, because you believe that so strongly. We should not label a person by a diagnosis. And we do that with everything. You know, that person's depressed, that person is this, and it becomes our identity. And so I I really love that you teach that. Thank you. Yeah, it doesn't help them to feel that they are something, a label. So I don't ever say that a person is bipolar. They might have bipolar challenges. My oldest son is struggling with symptoms of schizophrenia right now, but I don't ever say that he is a schizophrenic. You know, I see him as someone who has gifts and abilities to see things differently, and I learn from that, and Mm -hmm. that we can all do that. You know, any listener can know that we can live from wonder and joy rather than despair when we live from our whole beings and we see our loved ones and the people we care about as whole beings. We don't see them as broken. They might have challenges right now, and they might be severe. They might be in crisis off and on. But those are challenges that will will change. You shared that you went through some addiction issues with your son, and, and now you also shared that he has some other mental health challenges that he's navigating. Is there a strong correlation between a person who has a mental health challenge and addiction? Absolutely. I think that's one of the the least talked about issues in the addiction and recovery realm, that addiction and mental health really have the same roots. And addiction and substance use issues are not a character flaw, and they're not incurable. They are interwoven with mental health issues. And oftentimes a person hasn't, you know, both of my sons have had mental health issues that they didn't even really understand fully and neither did I. They had tremendous anxiety and they had depression that they kept to themselves. And, and your listeners, I hope, I hope you all can know that, that sometimes we don't see what, what our loved ones are really going through. And they may say, yeah, I've been worrying about this. I've been struggling, but we may not know how bad it is that they have wanted to take their own life. And so they turn to a substance because it's like a friend. It becomes familiar to them and it becomes habitual because it's a friend they can always rely on. So one of the times my, my youngest son was telling me he struggled the most greatly was late at night when there was no one to call, no one to hang out with and he couldn't sleep. And so, you know, it was just easier to use a stimulant or methamphetamines or something that felt like comfort. Pimla, in your book, you write about six zones of experience. Can you share those with us briefly? I'd love to. I call those six zones of experience uh, our whole being awareness. It's an interesting thing that the world still uses the word, the word mindfulness quite often. And it's, it's a wonderful word that has served us well, mindfulness. You know, what we mean by it is that we are really present in the moment and we're really activated and we're vibrantly alive, even if it's a challenging moment. But it, it, it falls short because mindfulness identifies us with the mind. 
what I love is to tap to, to tap in myself and to teach clients and, and uh, people in workshops that we can tap into six sides of our experience, as you're saying. And that's our minds, sure, our hearts, our bodies. And then we go inside to the deepest core self, which I call our essence. I like the elegant word essence rather than soul. And we also pay attention to our intuition and we're, we're tuned into the energy around us because our, our bodies don't really end with our skin. And so those six realms, body, mind, essence, intuition, energy, you know, those, those are the things that we can tune into in any given moment. And we don't have to just pay attention to what, what am I thinking right now or what am I feeling? Those are great things to pay attention to. But we can also listen to what's my body telling me? Is my neck tight? Is my stomach uh, rolling and grumbling? Is my inner essence telling me, be solid right now? This situation can be made better if you're calm. Is my energy vibing in such a way that I need to pay attention to that? So we can tap into all six zones of experience with practice really quickly and easily, just like we do when we're riding a bike or swimming. We're not just paying attention to what we're thinking or we're not just, if we're riding a bike, we're not just pedaling. We're, we're tuning into a lot more data that's available. And so we can do a quick whole being scan in any given moment and just ask, what am I experiencing in each one of those six realms, each one of those zones? And I think when we learn to do this, we really do have so much inner wisdom that we just don't pay attention to. And I I know this is something that I've learned to do, and it has not failed me when I listen to it. Absolutely. It sounds like you've listened to your intuition. And as we were talking recently, you've had quite a story of reinventing yourself. And that's so much the story of, of many of your listeners we have to reinvent ourselves. But, but how do we do that? We don't want to fall prey to listening to what even our friends tell us to do or what the world says to do. We want to be able ha- to have an, a hub available to us at any given time that is full of wisdom. And that is right here. It's accessible within us through our inner essence, you know, and all the things I just listed, our emotions, our thoughts, our energy. And our intuition is an amazing database that is really one of the the truest hubs we can always count on because it stores information from all of our experiences. Pamela, what do you want those struggling with addiction to know? I would like them to know that they are loved and that there's hope and that they can be more conscious and awake and aware in any given moment because they've seen us do it. They've seen us live more vibrantly and awake and more aware. We're not just living from our fears. And that's one of the things that, that those who struggle with substance use feel is a lot of fear. And so I want, I want them to know that, that there's compassion for that fear and that that fear doesn't have to rule them. So another thing that I practice myself is I make fear an advisor. I don't see fear as this thing I have to fight I don't see it as an adversary. I I view fear as an advisor, one of the many advisors I listen to. (laughs) I listen to love and compassion and strength and assertiveness, all these other qualities that, that I have accessible. But all of us have all of these things accessible. And so if we can welcome them, then we can show those that we love who are struggling how to welcome these other things too so that they can make different choices in their better moments. I used to be afraid of so many things because 
I always had this notion of this horrible thing that was going to happen if I took a particular action. And what I started to ask myself was, you know, what's the worst thing that can really happen? What I learned is that basically anything I feared never happened. And, you know, it, it's like you, you dip your toe in your big toe in the water. You, you face one, you face another, you face another, and it gets easier and easier. And you really start to see that all of these things that you've conjured up in your mind never happen. And, and it just makes it so much easier to move forward with, with taking chances and taking risks. And, and that's just something that I've done in my own life. Oh, absolutely. Your story is my story and, and really the story of so many of us that we, you know, one of the things I teach is that we want to be able to become more comfortable with discomfort and even overwhelm. And so in the moments I feel uncomfortable, I try to notice it. And, and I'm talking about extreme discomfort, you know, that extreme overwhelm where we're shocked and devastated all at once. And, and I encourage listeners to walk around the house or around your office with one hand on your belly and one hand on your heart with deep compassion for yourself and your own experience breathing into what's happening, befriending all of your feelings, even if you're feeling terror, like you were saying, or, or fear, you, you breathe into that because the funny thing is we all know that we don't really maintain and perpetuate our fear by, by listening to it. It actually subsides. <laughs> Same with our discomfort and our overwhelm. It, it's only made worse by ruminating about it in our minds. And so when we can get into our, our essence and our bodies and our hearts, and be kind to ourselves and walk around, again, breathing into our hearts, breathing into our bellies, consciously with, with awareness, then we can find a level of peace amidst the, the chaos. And to be able to hold opposites like that is so empowering. To be able to know, okay, here's that feeling again of, of absolute overwhelm. Okay, I'm familiar with this. I know how to work through this. I don't have to escape it or avoid it. I can be right here with myself in kindness and say, hey, I'm right here. I'll figure this out. Or We're right here if we're a family or a collective. We'll figure this out. And so we protect our happiness that way. That, you know, one of the things that I've learned over all these years that I would love to share too is that we can hold these opposites. There is so much joy in this life, and we want to, to cultivate a capacity to find those moments of joy every day even. Even if it's just meaning that we smile, like I'm smiling at you right now, and hopefully you can, you can feel it and see it. Or we smile at our loved one, even amidst their pain, just a tender, I'm with you kind of smile. So we can hold opposites. We can hold deep, deep pain along with some level of contentment because our foundation has to, has to be contentment or else we'll just we'll fall prey to, to, to the chaos. The book is Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction. If you would like to learn more about Pamela and her work, you can visit BeBrave.us. Pamela, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? Two things. There is not a one-size-fits-all approach to remission and recovery for our loved ones. And so because that's true, they will make their own choices and find their own way. And it's not up to us to fix them. We've got to know who we truly are and take care of ourselves and protect our own happiness. Pamela, thank you so much for joining us. It has really been a pleasure having you on the show. Oh, it's just, it's just a joy. I hope your listeners are helped because the work you're doing is so important, and I'm happy to be a part of it. 
Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, subscribe to our mailing list, check out our articles, magazine, book club, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.